Hello and welcome to Core Truth, the podcast show, where we will discover the core truth that controls our experience of life. I'm your host, Mark Follett, and together with my friend, mentor, and author of the book, The Truth of Love and Fear, Rudy Eckhart, we will peel back the outer layers of consciousness in order to understand and realize the nature of our perceptions and the beliefs that control the experience of our lives. We will uncover the true nature of consciousness, what drives our personal actions, behavior, and feelings in life, and what really motivates mankind. So we welcome you to join us on a journey of self-discovery, self-realization, and self-awareness to give you a new insight into who you believe you are. This is Core Truth, where we discuss the philosophy of core belief therapy created by Rudy Eckhart. I'm your show host, Mark Follett, and today we are going to discuss success. We're going to probably talk about what success is and how it relates to what people generally uh, think of success as to do with money and uh, how that plays into some of the world the world problems and, and issues. Uh, Rudy, we're going to talk about success today. How are you, by the way? I'm good. Hello, everyone. Yeah, well, we can't talk about success without talking about failure, of course. <laughs> of course. We can't talk about winning without talking about losing. Uh, and so motivation plays a big part in this. Now, we live in a world where the concept of success and the concept of winning and the concept of... Um, appearing to be doing well in society has taken very specific forms which are promoted through the media, through books, um, through corporations, um, through sport, uh, in all the various ways that we um, perceive success in the entertainment industry, in the movie industry. Uh, Success has many different faces in other words. We just say even in, in, in personal interactions, I remember, you know, my parents would talk about other people, how well they were doing or how, how, they, how well they weren't doing and things like that. It's something that kind of plays out in conversations as well that you have with. with yeah, and, and that's probably because we, we have a certain admiration for a certain kind of success. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So meaning by that, but that status has now become... Um, part of financial success. Um, power has become part of financial success. So financial success is probably the most revered uh, kind of success uh, other than perhaps competing with that is fame as a form of success. Mm-hmm. Um, being famous for doing something, creating something, or... Um, being the kind of person that makes uh, a difference in the world. But even that doesn't necessarily, uh, is not viewed necessarily as success. I don't think um, Mother Teresa is as, as successful in those terms as Michael Jackson. <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you're Yeah, Obviously, Michael Jackson is more successful than Mother Teresa. There's more people that want to be like Michael Jackson than there are those who want to be like Mother Teresa. Um, and so there is a there is a certain bias in the way we perceive success. It's also very personal, and it actually is personal because um, of the way that we view ourselves in respect to success. I mean, when you believe yourself to be very simple about this, a loser, um, then some then success is very attractive, is very desirable because 
being successful would mean that you're no longer a loser. Um, being successful for a lot of people also has a lot to do with how they're viewed by others and how they would like to be seen by others. Mm. So success is, by, in bold accounts, a very complicated mm. um, piece of subject matter. I can see how there's a lot of perceptions and, and uh, the, the non-reality of the situation. A lot of, a lot of fame is actually not real. I think of a lot of it is, is put on and people, it's all about perceptions um, someone is perceived to be a certain way rather than how they actually are. They might be showing people that they're really wealthy, for instance, or they have a lot of money by having a flash car, but all, all they might have is a big loan. That is, that is one way of seeing it. Um, <laughs> I think there is a bit of that too. I mean, people, people like to cry, or people who will actually go out of their way to prove to other people and spend the majority of their mother their money on uh, showy stuff, if you like, mm. stuff that, that a big house, car, holidays, uh, expensive clothes, etc., in order to be seen by others as being significant, special, which, of course, if you're sitting in my chair and you look at people like that, you think, well, you obviously don't believe you're worth very much, you're insignificant, um, you, you, uh, you don't believe in yourself uh, in order for you to have to do this because you think that if you can make other people look at you and think, oh, he's amazing, he's fantastic because he's, he can do all these things, he drives this big car, that if you think that by convincing others, you're going to convince yourself, <laughs> right? Because that's what it amounts to. Mm. Uh, then obviously you have issues around this. And that's the way I personally see it. Um, look, I'm, I'm no different personally from anybody else that I would like a certain amount of wealth to be able to do the things that um, I would like to do. I'd like to travel more than what I do. I like to put more money in promoting me and my material, uh, my concept, my book. Uh, yes, I would like to do all those things, but then I don't really care to have a very flash car or I don't care to live in a castle um, because appearances don't matter to me. Do, do you um, think it's because you're, you're, what you're saying is you, you would like to have a certain amount of money to drive your passions and desires that come from a, the place of unconditional love from your mm -hmm. innate self, from your authentic self, what you want to create in the world, as opposed to wanting things because you fear that you're not going to have enough things? Or, or, or that people see me not as being not special, not significant, not anybody of any note, mm. right? It's more so about the fame side of it, isn't it? That, that's more, well, so it's about recognition of sorts. Mm. It's, it's when you, look, it comes down, it always comes down to the individual and it's, it, it's, it is the way that it works, right? It is when you have to acquire something from outside of yourself to fix something that's missing internally, then it can be really about anything. I mean, today we're talking about success, winning, uh, with, with, and, and, and so we have to talk about what personality has to prove that they're better than somebody else, that they have more than somebody else, that they are, have a greater status and value than somebody else, that they are more powerful and influential than anybody else. When you have that need, that uh, desire, that drive to do that, the only thing that can be true about that is that you have fear. The fear of not being powerful, the fear of not being 
special that you have that you walk around with the belief that you are insignificant that you are powerless that you do not matter that um, you are invisible and insignificant that uh, you have no value or worth so you're looking for a means to prove the opposite of all of this in doing so and this is where it all goes wrong if you if you want to be a winner because you have to prove to the world that you matter and that you're significant and that you believe that's the only way you will have value in this world, then your winning will take priority over everything else. In taking priority over everything else, you're likely to overstep boundaries of human decency, of morality, of... Um, 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 how can I say? Of fairness, if you like, even. Right? Of honesty. Mm. Uh and I know a lot of people hearing this will say, no, that's not true. People wouldn't do that. Why do you think there's so many drug cheats? Why do you think people try and gain an advantage in one form or another, in no matter what competition they're in? It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter whether it's about swimming or being the fastest on the track or whether it is to be the best at football or something like that. If you can get an advantage and winning is your priority, you will do so. Mm-hmm. I can, I, mean, I can even think of some instances um, where one opponent has sabotaged their direct opponent or the, the one that they perceive is the most likely threat to them winning. They they have them knifed or they, they organise to have their knees broken. or You know, there's some pretty serious um, things that have come out. I, I'm, I'm just thinking of a couple of instances. I think there were some ice skating um, women that uh, one of them did something to the other one along those lines. That, that would be an extreme ago. version of it's it. It's an extreme version, but 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 often people will will take drugs and 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 um, look for stuff to enhance their performance against an opponent, right? Who they want to beat in order to to win, right? Which is which is you know. Um, you can sit in long discussions what is fair and what is not fair and what is possible and what is not possible. Um, the, the, the fact is competition is never fair. Competition cannot be fair. If, if, for instance, you put two people in the ring and they've had equal boxing training and they, have, um, uh, they may be equally skillful, right? But one is six foot three and has a reach of... I don't know what the inches would be, or so many inches of reach, and the other one is shorter and doesn't have that reaches and, and, and doesn't have that weight, right? There's going to be an obvious um, mismatch of mm-hmm. kinds because nobody's ever perfectly matched to another person because we're so individual, mm-hmm. we're so right? Yeah. And so if you, if you are the best or fastest swimmer in the world because you've got webbed feet or your feet are so large that they're almost like flippers and so are your hands. Well, you obviously have a disadvantage over a, maybe a Japanese man who's smaller in stature, doesn't have the big hands and the big feet. He can never generate that power in the water. It, it would be an, competing with someone like that, you would know in advance who was going to win. Mm. It's the same with running. I think there's, there's a couple of different shapes that you can be as a runner that give you a... A huge advantage. Of course, of it's course. Human mechanics, yeah. Different mechanics, and, and and you may be built for running, mm-hmm. but then you won't be built for being in the run in the in the boxing ring for or a, fighting or right? a swimmer, <laughs> or, or you, you know, or a swimmer. I think so, runners make the worst swimmers. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> I'd say so. So 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 winning 
right, is I can imagine that a person wants to do their personal best and I can understand that you can only really compete with yourself and that the personal best is probably the greatest value to anyone mm. with anything. You want to try and push your extents and see what you're capable of. See what you're capable of and see what your potential is. Yeah. In any particular area of your life, mm. you may do it as a creator, uh, as a painter, as a sculpturer, or as a problem solver, or as an IT person creating a program, right? You might push yourself to the limit of what you can possibly do. That I admire. Mm. And that is admirable um, for so many different reasons. Because that person is only ever involved with himself. Now, if he struggles with that, he can still have personal issues, fears and insecurities, but he does not play them out on another person. He does not seek to um, take either unfair advantage or um, cripple, if you like, the other individual in order to be the one that comes out on top, mm. so to speak. Um, or have to cheat to get there. It becomes cheating in the end, doesn't it? I mean, it becomes cheating. Even if you if you um, doing it to yourself, you're still cheating. Mm. If you take drugs or your enhancement of some sort, um, then you're still kind of cheating because you're you you got an advantage that the other person doesn't have. In the end, you're cheating yourself though because you're not really seeing what you're capable of. <laughs> well, you're using external means mm. to enhance yourself, mm. which doesn't really represent the authentic and original state of your body or your mind, right? Um, so, so winning has become, winning, being popular, famous, uh, being successful, um, have become virtually the goals of nearly every child. I mean, we're being taught this at school. Um, uh, personal best is not as important as topping the school. Uh, having the best uh, marks um, in a particular area, right? Uh, and it may seem uh, logical and, how can I say that? It may seem logical and, and acceptable, but we don't realize the amount of damage we do to all the people that are not on top. Mm. Like, <coughs> excuse me, we we put so much um, recognition into into the children that do so very well that it obviously means that those who didn't make the top 5% must all be hopeless, losers, inadequate, incompetent, mm. uh, not good enough and relegated to the lower ranks. It's, it's right? actually something that you said in our last episode, basically it cannot possibly be true that only 5% of people are valuable and the rest are completely worthless because they're not in that top 5%. We can't all be in the top 5%, so it, it can't be true that humanity exists in that way, where, the, where the only worth is in the top 1% of 5% of the people. Well, you, you know, first of all, you're only being tested in a very narrow mm. in a very narrow place, if you like, whether that be mathematics or... Um, being a runner or um, whether it is being in, in, in uh, um, an, any, anything really, whether it's English or 
whatever you're learning or whatever you're doing, you're only being tested in a very narrow aspect of life. And you're being tested at a certain point in your life. There is an assumption that, that um, you um, were only at the best of something at a certain time, and therefore from there on then you're on the decline. Or you, um, you, if you're not, if you can't perform in that particular area, then you are judged to be at a certain level. I'm not to explain this perhaps very well, but what I'm saying is that we are relegated to certain positions and statuses in life that we're judged to be uh, because we we don't stand out as the few percent that you're talking about, mm. right? I mean, the typically is acting. Acting is one of those things where there's so many variables that are possible for you to become a successful actor that it, that in the end, it has very little to do how good an actor you are. <laughs> That's true. Right? There are quite a number of very popular actors, and I'm not saying this to slay their, uh, to put a slay on their um, performances or... Um, but they're not the best actors. Mm. I would say the same for musicians. Not all the most popular musicians are uh, the most talented. Or the best singers. Or the, the best, best singers, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're not. Yeah. Uh, they may bring a certain charisma to the, to, to their profession, mm-hmm. right? Uh, well, they're very interesting people or something like or, that. Or a lot of the time they bring actually um, what they bring to the public is actually more created and manifested by their handlers by their agents than it is actually the truth about them. Mm-hmm. So there's a story created around them, if you like, and they sort of conform to the story in the eyes of the public. Is it, and therefore, that's that perception I was talking about earlier. We create a perception of a persona that doesn't really exist. It doesn't really exist, mm. yeah. And so that's an attraction. Um, there are a lot of actors who, who can act a specific type of role and they're normally then cast in that particular kind of role. Um, there are some actors who are absolutely brilliant and are natural, they're naturals in their, in their capacity to portray a, a hugely different personality each time and make you believe it. And they do exist, right? But then there's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who all want to be actors and learn acting and keep acting schools happy and functional and making a lot of money who will actually never, ever walk on a stage, be in front of a camera. Uh, they'll be lucky if they do a commercial. Mm-hmm. And, and it is all those people that see, for instance, their success, their only way of being somebody by, um, by being a success as a, as a singer or as an actor or as a performer, right? And most of the time, these people do not ask themselves the question, why is it so important? And actually, you know, I pick on acting and performing because it creates, it contains nearly all the elements we're talking about. Fame, success, and money, right? All those three elements are mm. part of that, that goal, if you like, because all famous actors are well-known, wealthy, and seem to be successful. So they have, they basically look to have the package, right? Um, what, what people who chase this as uh, potential 
um, as a potential future, do not do is look at themselves and ask themselves, why is this so important to me? Why does this matter so much? Why do I, why am I so keen to be uh, an actor and I need to be in front of a camera and I need the world to see me? And it is interesting because I've had quite a few of them as clients and that they, um, like if you see uh, somebody who's a musician and is committed to becoming a great performer will, if he is committed, at least do two to four to five hours of training or music every day of his life. And even if he's successful, he will still be doing it. Yeah. To, I think, I think to a, always be on top of the game. I've never liked the fact that um, people think musicians are just naturally talented people that get up on stage and do their thing and they just breeze in and breeze out. And I, I know I'm a, I'm a musician, an amateur musician myself. I know how much work they put into being up there to be able to perform that way, regardless of their talents or not. It is massive. It, huge. It is massive. Opera singers need to train their voice. Uh Classical music musicians need to train their skills constantly on an instrument to hone their skills to to become perfection beyond perfection in their capacity to be able to do a piece of music. And then you get actors and singers who uh, will only, uh, what do you call it, will only use their voice and use their acting if there's a job to be done. <laughs> and don't feel that they need to train themselves and they need to perfect themselves. And I perceive that, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I perceive that as being that being on the stage and being seen and being in front of other people as the center of attention is more important to them than the actual acting process itself. Mm. To, to draw a parallel to what you were talking about before with the, with the athletes, I think it's, it's probably pertinent here because... If you're a musician and you're and you're all about improving yourself, getting your personal best, how far can I go? How good can I get at playing this instrument? How amazing can my voice get? Try and find out what the limits of the self really yeah. are. If that's your driver, then you're going to be driven to do that practice, to push yourself as far as you can you go to be the, the best you can be, as opposed to just wanting to do it because you're going to be well-known and, and famous. Yeah. So it's sort of similar to what we're talking about with the, someone that the sports people is. Well, you know, when you take somebody who's a runner or a, in, in any sport, um, when you start seeing people um, destroying their body mm. because they're overtrained or trained badly or um, Train with expect energy. more from themselves than mm. what they can actually deliver physically, right, and therefore destroy their health, their well-being and their body – then you've got to think there's something wrong mm. with the way this person is thinking about all of this. Because if you if you destroy your body, so in the self-destructive process, in order to achieve a certain goal, there must be something wrong with the goal that you're setting for yourself and the reason why you want it, why you want to be the winner or want to be competitive or because it goes beyond what is, um, what would be, let's say, um, how would I express this, um, what would be in response to your physical and emotional survival. Like your physical and emotional survival tells you that you've got to 
look after your body and look after your mind and look after your emotional and physical well-being. Now, if you transgress that particular innate and very important expectation and need that we have, right, then there's got to be something wrong with your thinking. And the only thing that would do that to you is fear. Mm. The fear of losing, the fear of not succeeding, the fear of not being the best, the fear of not uh, contributing to your other teammates or the fear of letting the club down or the fear of not making money or the fear of being seen by others as somebody who is inadequate in doing this. Um, all this must play a bigger role than your own survival. And your own survival. It's, it's which, which is like, how contradictory do you want to be? It's almost contradicting being human. Yes. Being well, physically human. You're being contradictory to your life. Mm. Now, you can, you can throw up all the arguments that you like to justify this, but none of them hold. Because it is, it is an, um, destroying yourself to achieve a goal is nothing heroic about it. It's stupid. <laughs> it's just plain stupid. Mm. You know, destroying your life. I mean, I, I have people met uh, young, good-looking, strong males, right, that have been my clients, and a couple of them that I've met destroyed their bodies in university league and could not ever play league again. Mm and now have permanent injuries from which they will suffer all of their life. That is smart? I don't think so. Mm. I really don't think it's smart. League's a good example, and I've often thought about this. Um, I've, I've on and off been quite a big league fan, and I, people, I suppose, in general, look at league players, and they think, oh, they've got everything there. They're well-known, as you said, tick that box. Uh, <clears throat> they get heaps of money for doing what they're doing, and they they get to perform on a stage, a Coliseum-type stage, right? But it's such a short-lived career, even even the greats, 15 years tops. And uh, and I don't really think they get paid that well, and they've completely destroyed their body by the end of it. They right. have an operation every every couple of weeks. And Shoulder reconstructions. Re- reconstructing knees, shoulders, there's, face. There's actually a North Sydney hospital, I've been told, and I'm, I, I stand corrected <clears throat> if I'm wrong, but there's actually supposed to be a... Um, an operation unit or an operation area with surgeons who do nothing else but knee and elbow and shoulder reconstructions. That is their constant job mm. for sports people, right? So um, I find that kind of, I mean, I mean, if you go to war and you get hurt, right, I can understand it in the defense of your own life or your family, you will get hurt and that will require some major intervention. Sacrifice yourself, yeah. Yeah. Because you are protecting yourself and your your family, your children, your wife. Um, But to do this for fun is with a sort of aggro and um, um, force that is involved in it where you you literally run into... um, I'm going to sound critical now. I can hear myself. So please forgive me. But, you know, I to, to, when I watch a league game, I, I see three guys tackling one. And I don't know how that is a fair game. <laughs> I, I've, I've never, I mean, in a, in a fair fight, you would never have three guys beating up another <laughs> and think that was a fair fight or a fair game. But apparently in a league's game, it's okay for three people to tackle one. Mm. Which, which I find really strange because in all fairness, how does that work, right? Um, 
in that respect, I find soccer uh, a fairer game, if you like, because you're not allowed to have two attackers mm. or more than two attackers. Um, at least a, a player with the ball has a fair chance of um, of getting through and scoring a goal, while uh, in league you've got four or five guys tackling you. Apparently it doesn't matter how many. Um, and uh, that's okay. American football is very similar. Mm. Uh, so uh, it, it, it's not that it's just, I'm just bagging Australians. So that's not what I'm doing. Well, any, um, any of those completely body destructive sports um, are, are in the same basket of what we're talking about. It's not just football. There's a lot of, a lot of sports where people wreck their bodies. Um, like and- the massive risks that people take. Like, I mean, acrobatics in uh, skiing, for instance, or in water sport, right, in skiing, uh, in snow skiing. I mean, it's just massively dangerous, right? Um, yeah, there are a lot of sports that have very high risk attached to it and they very, require a very high level of skin or s- skill, skill mm. to, to, to be able to, uh, to, to meet the demands that that sport has of you, you know? Um, like, it's interesting. I watch cage fighting every now and then. And even though you see people getting beaten up, there's somebody there to stop the process and to put a halt to it before any serious injuries occur. And apparently there's very few um, serious inju- injuries occur in cage fighting. There's, it's more likely to happen in boxing than it is to happen in a cage fight, but which, you know, um, is, how can I put it? Um, it's probably a more controlled sport, if you like. Mm. But you don't have that control over something like league or, you know, it's always after the event when somebody has a dislocated knee or has been tackled or has been grabbed around the throat after the event that we all start to protest he shouldn't have done that. They usually keep playing if they've dislocated their shoulder in the game. If you dislocate your shoulder in the game, you just keep playing because it's already dislocated. You may as well keep going. Uh, I've never actually watched it enough to actually... <laughs> no, they quite that, often... Uh, I've seen people... Uh, I used to be a big league fan um, with big gashes on their head and they, the doctor runs over and staples it together literally on the spot and they keep going, you know, just write the blood off. It's, uh, it's, it's amazing. Um, but I guess where we were going with that is to say what drives people to do that to themselves and you can't say money because I don't actually think they get paid that well to start with. A lot of them get $200,000, $250,000 a year but the career is only going to be, say, 10 years long for most of them at the most and then their body is completely wrecked to do anything else and they haven't developed themselves in any other area over that time, most mostly. So it's not much of a trade-off, I don't think. You can't justify it through that. So bringing it back to real life, we like to do that um, on the show. It'd be good for you to maybe talk about how this, how these fears that we're talking about here are formed because I'd like for you to explain that. And I think it gets through to people when they understand the type of family situations that drive people towards these types of fear-based responses to needing fame and fortune and, and money to feel like they're successful? Well, it usually requires one or both parents to have a big ego, as we call that. Uh, they, they are often setting the example by either being superior or wanting to be superior or acting superior in every way. So you get a father who, who, or a mother who, who either individually or both want to be seen, to be um, wealthy, rich, well-to-do, um, 
smart, clever, or a father who, to whom winning, because he's played a little bit of sport in his life and tries to live that through his sons or, or even through his daughters, depending on what it is all about, but tries to um, uh, make winning really important to them by, um, let's say, being very measured in his praise and in his um, um, recognition of what his children do. Often they are more criticized than praised. Often they, they get the feeling that everything they do is not good enough, that they never achieve enough, that they're never successful enough. Um, that they could have done better. Well, that they could have done better, yeah. Even if they have won, it's still not, they didn't win by enough. <laughs> yeah. You know, an interesting thing is that often you, the, the children... Um, <clears throat> The children that are raised by families to whom winning, being successful, having more money is so important that that becomes a priority in their life because it is already a priority in the parents' life, um, is that somehow it's never enough, which means you should always be more than what you are, which is impossible. <laughs> you should always be more successful than what you are. Uh, you should always um, uh, have more wealth than what you have. Um, and and without the parents realizing, they're actually recreating the same insecurities that they have and what made him, them be that way uh, in their children by creating the fear of being a loser, of not having enough, or being inadequate, of being hopeless. Because what is painted for them, that if they are any of those things, that is the worst thing you can be. The worst thing is to be is to be a loser. Mm. The worst thing is to, is to be poor. The worst thing is is to be inadequate. The worst thing is to be seen as stupid. Mm. You know that 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 is the sense that creates the fear that drives people then to 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 want to win, to want to make money, to want to be successful, and that plays out and that resonates in every part of our society. We don't realize we bring this with us when we go and um, start working for other people or start our own businesses. Um, the fear of, of not being enough will play out uh, in the way that you perform in your job, in the way that you deal with others, uh, in the way that you will run your own responsibilities uh, in respect to your work. It will also play out on how you will have a relationship with women or a woman will have a relationship with a man. Uh, or how they will um, treat their children and repeat the whole process all over again to create the same children that they were when they were raised by their parents. So it is, it is, a, it is a very deep-reaching and far-reaching um, uh, set of fears that we grow up with, which will have a huge impact. I mean... I've said this before, but look at the world the way it is, and everything you look, everything you see operating in this world is based on fear. Mm. No matter what you look at now, these days, is everything is fear-based and not trust-based. You know, the, the, the stock market runs on fear. Uh, uh, we have armies because of fear. We... Um, um, 
Well, a lot of politics is about fear too. The way campaigns are run is all about the, the how, way people are convinced to vote. How, how, how bad the opposition's going to be and how bad the country's going to be if the opposition gets in is usually the most effective campaigns. Yeah, the American uh, Donald Trump at the moment, right? He's, he's, he's a fear-mongering politician at the moment and he is getting a lot of following because a lot of Americans are in fear. And they're looking to be sa- they're looking to be saved from their fears, and Donald Trump implies that he can. I mean, as uh, reporters have noted, he um, he hasn't come up with any solid policies other than naming the fears that he is implying he will do something about. Mm. So he he he's giving people a specific direction for their fear. In this case, it's. Um, the terrorists is um, the Mexicans, um, it, so he 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 ha- gives people a focus which allows them then to to give their fears some some form, and then an implied solution. Implied solution, yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting way to put it. <laughs> that uh, so there's an implied solution, but there's no real solutions necessary in order to gain. Uh, popularity. popularity, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he feeds on the fear that Americans have. There's a lot of dissatisfaction. Um, the, the general population in the United States has uh, not been looked after. There's been no wage increases and that sort of thing, right? So the the population is ripe for a change. And you get to this when you get to this point, people are not rational about. Um, the solution anymore because they have heard it all before. They've heard promises, they've been told nonsense before and they voted for it and it never got them anywhere. So they're looking for a radical solution and Donald Trump is radical, totally radical. And because they've had enough, when people had enough and they're frustrated, they will look for a radical outcome. Mm. And so that's why he's popular. But it says more about America and as in, and its population than it actually says about Donald Trump. So, There's always been Donald Trumps. So, so the, these individual fears that we're talking about with, re, with regard to not having enough, not, not being enough um, to be worthwhile, to be famous, to be – it plays out in society because if we add all of us up, we create a community and we create a society and then – we, we create our leaders and our sports people as almost showpieces of the fears that we hold as a society. Yeah, but it actually gets a bit worse than that because being showpieces, as you put them right, they create the illusion that anybody can get there. Mm. Right? They create the illusion that anybody, if you put your mind to it and you're interested in it, you go into sport or you'll become a famous league player. If you, if you apply your talents and abilities, you'll become a singer that is famous. The, the imply, it is implied that not only is that the only thing you should be aiming for, but it's actually reachable. Mm. You at, know, at any cost. At, mm. Well, ultimately, if you don't succeed, then you will be judged to either have not done enough, tried hard enough, or you just were hopeless to begin with. Mm. Right? Um, you yourself will see yourself as a failure if, when you don't get there and you'll live a life of disappointment because you couldn't fulfill your greatest dream, which in actual fact was your greatest fear. Mm. Do, do you find uh, in the people that you work with in your, in your, in your practice that 
with with families where the parents are very uh, competitive, that there's a lot of competition amongst the siblings as well. Yeah, it generally generally it only takes one parent. Only takes one. Yeah, it only takes one parent to be, and it's usually the male that tends to have that strong competitive streak. Mm. Uh, he will. He will. Strangely enough, he will actually compete with his own children in a way <laughs> and make them compete with each other, which does nothing to create a positive family model, mm. right? Um, also very interesting, perhaps, and maybe surprising to some listeners, is that the father, if he perceives himself or portrays himself as well, as being successful and know-all and capable and competent and has the, has the gab, if you like, the words, the dialogue to make everybody believe that, that he's actually, will, that he will actually not like if one of his siblings will be smarter than him, more successful than him. And or one of his children. Yeah, one of his siblings. One of sorry, one of his children. He probably won't like it if his siblings are either. No, no, he wouldn't. <laughs> no, but his children too. Mm. He will actually not allow his children to be superior to him. So when they get to a point where they might show that they're smarter than him, he will cut them down. He will criticize them. He will find a way to make them wrong, which then reaffirms for their child that they can never be as successful as their father is, mm. which means they can never be successful. But they, so, also, they also believe that he's got the expectation that they need to be more successful. Yeah, well, it's contradictory, isn't it's it? contradictory, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's totally contradictory. And so I find people who actually have the capacity to be very successful at something and then constantly when they get near that success, sabotage themselves mm. and fall back into failing and don't know and understand why they do that until they realize that subconsciously they can't allow themselves to be more successful than their parent was. So they always put brakes on their success because they have to fear that if they're successful, that somehow that means that they're going to go into competition with their father and they'll extract a negative response rather than a positive one. It is very contradictory because at the same time they'd be thinking that they need to be more to meet their expectations of their father, but then if they meet the expectations of their father, they won't be acceptable because they would have usurped his yeah. his greatness. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very difficult situation to be walking around with, but it's very common the way I see it. it it's very common that the father uh, says, you've got to be like me if you want to be special and significant and matter in this life, but you can't be better than me. <laughs> Yeah? Yeah. You can't be more than me. Mm, mm. And so that, that's really because his ego doesn't allow anybody to be more, even his own children. Mm. So he doesn't even realize he's doing this. Mm. We're, probably, so, we're probably painting the picture mm. of someone in, in people's mind that, that is very egotistical, but uh, it's not necessarily that, that extreme, is it? It doesn't need to be that extreme for it to have an impact on the children. Well, I, w- I, would, I would just reword that slightly, what you said, and say... That, I, that it probably sounds like if we're talking about a very aggressive, mm. confronting male who is, but a woman can be the same, don't get me wrong, um, who, who in a very deliberate way does this, and it's not necessarily so. A father can be, or a mother can be like a perfectionist. Everything has to be exactly how, and it has to be exactly right, and anything else is not tolerated. Mm. 
Perfectionism is kind of like a success, a pinnacle of achieving something. An unachievable goal that you're trying to achieve always. Well, yeah, but the parent will make you believe that they've achieved it. Oh, yeah, okay. That the way they do it is perfect. The way you should think is perfect. The way you should feel is perfect. <coughs> that can be done in quite a passive way. It doesn't have to be aggressive. Mm. It can be done by implication. Um, it can be done by just through expectation. Perceived expectations almost. Yeah. Well, by expecting a child to behave, act, respond, do things in a specific way, which only meets the standard of the person who has that expectation, right, uh, doesn't allow for the spontaneous freedom of the individual to come up with their own solutions, their own ideas, their own learning process. Mm. Because if they don't do it that way, then the parent will, can even not, they might not be critical by saying, oh, you did that wrong. They'll just say, oh, well, look, look, let me just do it, okay? Let me do it because if I do it, it will be right. Mm. Right? Like a simple thing. Um, say that um, a mother expects her daughter to make up the bed, right? And so she shows the child how to make up the bed. And then the child makes up the bed and the mother walks in and she remakes it. <laughs> yeah. Do you understand? Yeah. doesn't do anything. It's not critical of the child, but just remakes the bed. Right? Just that act, right? Mm -hmm. That act is a total criticism on the child. Mm -hmm. That act makes the child think, feel that it can't do anything right. That the only way to do something is the way mum does it. Right? And so therefore, uh, it, it reinforces... In small, subtle, and little ways, you can make a child feel like a total loser, inadequate, hopeless, incompetent. You know, if a, if, if a child sets the table and you walk around resetting all the plates, resetting all the forks and spoons, you're telling that child, you just did it wrong. So there's many different ways mm. where people can be made to feel inadequate and people may have the desire to um, to be a successful, or in this case, to be perfect, right? That in the end, the child may start reinforcing or yeah, reinforcing and forcing its own particular way of doing things as the perfect way, and then tries to impose this on other people. So you take that idea to the workplace, <laughs> okay? So you can have then a person who works so hard to be perfect that um, they'll stay extra hours and they'll be the quintessential good worker for a corporation or a business, right? Because they put 150% of their time into being, to doing a job perfectly mm. at cost to themselves and it will be taken for granted. It's almost it's similar a, to the sportsmen putting their body at, um, uh, at risk it's not uh, almost, it is the same. It's just a different manifestation of that same issue. It's isn't? the same attitude. Same attitude, yeah. It's the same attitude creating, uh, to, to create a, a result at the cost of the person themselves. Mm. And so, and there are other people that will try and impose their level of perfection on others by making everybody else wrong and themselves right. Uh, if, if you work for a boss like that, life is impossible. There's only their way or the highway. They know everything. So you can't ever have a collaborative approach for someone like that. Um, it's the real, 
the real basis for all of this is fear. No matter which way you look at it, the fear of losing, the fear of not having enough, the fear of not achieving enough, the fear of being less than what you're supposed to be or what you were expected to be, it all comes down to fear. Even, even fearing success because it's going to be too much for your parents to handle. Like the, it's even like, you, as, as you said. It can be, you yeah. Can, you can actually sabotage your own efforts at, at success because you fear the success itself. Will we'll somehow, right. There can also be the fear, and people bring this up sometimes, and they simplify it into, into being in fear of success. It's a term you hear a lot because it is a term created by people who don't understand why people have issues with success. And, and one of the issues that one can have with success is the fear of what success will impose on you. Mm, like being exposed, is that what you mean? It could be being exposed, but it could also be the responsibilities that come mm. with success or the fact that once you are successful, you cannot stop being successful. So there's an expectation that you constantly repeat something that you may actually believe you got there, you don't know how, because, you know, everything just worked in synchronicity and you got there, right? And now you don't know how to repeat that because how do you create that synchronicity again? Mm. You know, because when it just happened, it just seemed to happen. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? So there can be responsibility, there can be exposure, there could be lack of privacy, there could be the greater expectations that everybody will have of you. Just, just imagine that you put out a successful album as a as a singer. I right? imagine that all the time. And you and you <laughs> <laughs> and you wrote all the music and you did the whole bit, right? The lyrics and everything, right? And um, you, that album became successful, but you personally had a lot of criticism in various parts of the different songs that you have written. That you could have done it better. It could have sounded better. It could have been directed better, put together better. You should perhaps use different instruments or different words in the lyrics. And so, but that album becomes successful, right? And now you're faced with the fact that you believe that everybody else will now think you'll do better and more when you already believe you haven't done enough. <laughs> yeah. Right? So, so they're expecting great things and you think, They expect well, great things. Uh, and you feel, that's a, you feel that's a burden on you that you have to then have this responsibility to create more. When you already believe that you haven't created enough. Mm, mm. Do, do, do you understand? There's a, so you're, there's a lot of conflict in these belief systems I'm seeing, you know. Yeah, there is. So, so there's many things that you can walk around with uh, that are conflictual within you, but that other people do not see. Mm. And, and, and so <clears throat> what I mean to say is this, is that if, if you do not look within yourself for your own motivations and reasons for what you want, and whether it's success or something else, or whether it's money or something else, it doesn't really matter. It always serves you well to become introspective and ask yourself the question, why do I want this so much? Why does it matter so much? And if it's truly a passion and a desire, and if it's truly um, something that fulfills something very fundamental and creative in you, right? Then the reality is that it doesn't matter who sees it. It doesn't matter whether it makes money. It doesn't matter whether other people think you're fantastic or not. It really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what status you have. Because if it is something that you're truly passionate about, you will do it anyway. You will do it regardless 
whether it makes money or not. You do it regardless. Do it because you love doing it. Because you just love doing it. Mm. Right? And you were likely to be good at it because you love doing it. Mm. And even if you're not, right, it does not matter mm. because it satisfies something in you. So we, we may love being a painter or a musician, but we, we may not be, you know, Stravinsky or Mozart or uh, uh, Leonardo da Vinci, you know. We, we have capacities which may not reach to those lofty heights, but they satisfy us, and that's what matters. It's what it does for you as an individual, how it makes you grow, how it makes you evolve as a human being and as a consciousness. That's the only thing that really matters. It's not what it is to the rest of the world, but what it is to you. Because if it's positive for you, it will be positive for the rest of the world. Mm. On the other hand, then, if, as you said, mm. if you question yourself and the answer that you find within is that you're driven out of, out of fear, out of, as you said, all these different things, not, not having enough, not being enough, mm. um, then it's a place to start. So creating an awareness, as we've said before on the show, is a place to start questioning yourself about why. And, and then when you discover what your fears are, then you do, should do something about those fears, of mm. course, because those fears don't have any reality in the true sense of the word. Mm. They're just beliefs. They're just something that you believe to be true. But in the actuality of your, um, of your consciousness, and I, I call it actually your spiritual truth, uh, is that those beliefs are just fictitious. You're just accepting what your parents imposed on you as a reality, while it has no reality other than the reality that you give it. Mm. Mm. And so... Well, it only has reality within your own mind and thoughts, but it doesn't exist outside of that, does it? No, but, but, but you see, the one, the one problem that most people will have with this is that they will say, but I feel it. And so you give away to your fears that fears that, sorry, you give away to your feelings that your feelings do not actually deserve in the sense that, yes, you feel that it is real, but your feelings don't always tell you the truth. Mm. Like, fear is like a force that you hold inside yourself that, be, that starts to dictate how you will behave, how you will act, what you will think, and what you will feel. Mm. And if you don't recognize that your feeling is a fear-based feeling, then you won't dismiss it. And you need to dismiss feelings that are based on fear because they represent illusionary fears. Because, In other words, it is a fear that feels real, but the basis for the fear is not. For the fear is not. Mm. When, when you say dismiss, you don't mean suppress. There's a big difference. No, 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 no. I don't mean suppress. Yeah. I, I, I mean you need to say to yourself, this is not real. Yeah. yeah. This is not real. I, I remember when I, when I, before I was even ever doing this work, and I was in a situation where I had to start a new cycle in my life, um, that I was um, faced with life in a totally different way again in my 30s. And I used a little mantra, um, which I don't recommend as a total solution, but I do recommend it as a temporary uh, way to get through stuff, which is 
what is the worst thing that can happen to me? And I used to analyze what the worst thing that could be. So I'd look at all, if I was going to do something, um, no matter what it was, right, what is the worst thing that could happen to me if I did it? And could I cope with that? And so... Would I survive? Would I survive it? Would I overcome it? Would it do permanent damage? Would it... Anything. Anything negative. So I, I would actually go through all the whole spiel of that. And I tell you now, 100% of the time, um, when it comes to emotional stuff, I could get through it. Mm. So in the beginning, I would just do stuff regardless of what I was feeling and just do it anyway, just to see how I would come out of it. Now, it didn't solve my issues, but it made me a lot braver and it made me realize that I, responding to a fear-based belief um, um, by actually pushing it aside and saying, I'm not going to respond to it that way, I'm just going to do it and see what happens, right? can be a very positive experience in trying to understand what's going on with you. Is that part of seeing yourself as separate from your fears, is saying my fears are not who I am? Absolutely, mm. yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's actually, you could actually say, if you feel a fear, this is not who I truly am. Even though you may not know who you truly are, but who you truly are doesn't have those fears. Mm. Mm. That's very powerful for people, just that, that in itself, I think. Your, your, your authentic self, the way you came into the world, um, was, had no fears. That's why babies come into the world unable to support themselves in any sense um, and are not terrified. If you dropped a fully grown human being on a strange planet, right, they'd be terrified. <laughs> but take a baby and put them in a completely new environment a consciousness becoming aware of itself and there is no fear. The fear comes later. The fear comes through the parents. Mm. Through conditional love. Through love that is an actuality and through acceptance and through trust that is, that is conditional. Mm. And when the child has to meet those conditions and fears it can't. So in the case of winning, a child has to be a winner in order to meet the acceptance conditions, if you like, that the parent sets for that child mm. and then it's in fear that it won't win but instead lose mm. that's where the condition comes in on the on the on the lover acceptance in this case yeah and, <coughs> and 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 if you look at the secondary condition that could be that the only time that i will give you some form of recognition right is if you do win but i will give you criticism and judgment if you don't win then it's a fairly black and white proposition <laughs> If I don't win, I'm a loser. And if I uh, do win, then um, I still haven't won enough. Mm. Because now I've won, I can't <clears> win all the time. Mm. It could be academic, you know. I go from 70% of um, the mark, I go to 95 And my father will say, well, why is, what happened to the 5%? Yeah, what happened to the other 5%? Yeah, why haven't you done that? Mm. Why didn't you get to the top? Like the expectation is to go always further and further and there's never a limit to it. Look, it's, 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 it, it is for all accounts complicated because there's a tendency to, our tendency to blame our environment for what we emotionally experience 
starts with our parents and stays with us and is passed on by us if should we have children is played out constantly you know it, it when when a parent blames you for not being good enough because you're not winning you will have a tendency to start blaming yourself to justify why you didn't win um, <clears throat> all right so we've talked about different forms of success and the fears that sit behind them we've only got a couple of minutes left and one thing that we could probably talk about just to wrap this up is because this is such a common fear what do you think the world would even be like what would it look like without everyone striving for success out of fear I, I can't even imagine what that would what that would look like I'd imagine that the whole world would shift around all sorts of systems would change people would be creating things for the purpose of getting the best out of themselves and the best for their communities it sounds like an amazing thing but I can't even picture it well, I recently put a, a little uh, blurb on my um, on my Facebook that says something like that people who um, who have ego power need weak people around them in order to be powerful. And those who have um, power within themselves, personal power that is within themselves and feel powerful people will feel free to empower others to become powerful people themselves. So... Because there's no jealousy or conflict or having to be better than others. That's what's missing. Well, there's no need to. There's no need to, yeah. There's no need to because you can't take my power away from me by being a powerful person yourself. Mm. I actually, if you were truly a powerful person, you wouldn't have the desire to take my power away from me. Mm -hmm. You would not um, have the need to do so because you feel power within yourself. So a world of self-empowered um, self-loving, self-accepting, um, self-trusting people would um, expect this from each other, um, would think it's natural to trust, natural to love. They would think it's natural to have faith. And so finding a solution for a problem will take a whole different um, appearance if you like mm. so the world will be different because systems and processes would not be based on fear on fear of lack, on fear of going without on fear of being insignificant or fear of having no value or fear of being powerless or miss, the fear of being miss, helpless missing out, and, and the fear of being a victim because mm. there will be no victims mm. in the ideal world we would have a world without aggressors and without victims so people would be allowed to be who they truly are. In this ideal world, which um, whether it will ever exist is not really the point. It's something probably we should be always be aiming for. Um, in, in this ideal world, um, everyone would be instinctively and automatically be following their passion and their desire. That passion and desire will automatically contribute to the well-being of all. We would trust that that will that the proportions of that will appear in society as society needs it. We wouldn't be, because we're not driven by money and wealth and profit, we would not direct society to display and give a certain um, performance, like everybody working in IT or everybody working in a particular area, and then develop those skills rather than passions, right? We wouldn't need to do that because it would automatically, would, people would rise up to a particular 
uh, requirement as it is needed. Mm. But we don't trust that. We we have fear that that won't happen. So we got to control everything and then push and cajole people into becoming something, which then starts with corporations uh, through the back door manipulating the education system, the university systems. Mm-hmm. We know we our, our, uh, what we teach at school now has to fit in with the expectations of what corporations need for their factory fodder, so to speak, mm. for the corporate mill, mm-hmm. right? Because that would be productive. Well, I think that's why the schools are invented in the first <laughs> place, actually. <laughs> They're invented in the Industrial Revolution so that um, children had somewhere to go while their parents were in factories and they could teach the children how to learn to be factory workers. That was kind of how it all came well, about. Actually, children were used as factory workers. Well, they were as well, yeah. Yeah. Mm. It, 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 education... Um, the way it, I, I think the school system became like the school system was only there for the rich to begin with. Mm. Only wealthy people could afford it. And then, if you go back in further in older days, um, masters would take on apprentices. And of course, if you if you want to educate more than one apprentice, then you get a group of apprentices. You, it becomes a school. Mm. You know, and I, I I think that's kind of how. That's more about following your passions and desires and vocations, mm. um, that type of thing. I guess you, you meet a mentor and you work with them towards learning what you can to further what you're passionate about. I think that's probably a better way to educate people is to learn from yeah. rather men, from your mentors. Look, there's so many elements in this that we could talk about. There's so many hours we could discuss <laughs> that, you know, that, um, that we have to kind of stop somewhere. Yeah, we should um, probably stop soon. But yes, it, it's amazing. Because, because society and its structure, right, is, is truly a product of us as individuals, even though a lot of people may feel that they are powerless in society, I think you need to recognize that society is a collective, mm. and the collective is you. You're part of that collective, and you're a contributor to that collective. That's why it is often said, we have to pit, you, you get the politicians that you deserve, because as a collective, you choose people to lead you. And the kind of people you choose to lead you often is a product of your fear rather than of clear thought and clear um, judgment. Because when that's why Donald Trump, to go back to what we said earlier, is capable of getting such a huge following because people make that judgment based on their fear and their sense of powerlessness at the same time. So they're seeking for him to be their power, to represent them. They feel he's representative of their frustrations, right? Um, I can promise you Donald Trump will never deliver. It, it is not possible. Mm. It is not possible for him to do so. So whether he gets elected in or not, doesn't really matter. He will never be able to deliver. Mm. It will never happen. So this is more or less where, where people will then need to realize that the ultimate change in any society, the true change, a change that is lasting and enduring, a change that will affect every aspect of everyone's life has to come from you as an individual. You need to deal with your fears and insecurities. And once you start letting go of your stuff, you will be a different person in society and no longer contributing 
to the collective fear that mm. exists. When you start withdrawing your fear from the collective fear, yep. then you will start to change society because you don't need to, it is not necessary for everybody to change. If 25% of the population changes, it will change the whole population. That's right. That's yeah. how it works. So your efforts to deal with your fears is far more important than what you think. And it goes well beyond your own particular issues and problems. Yeah, I would say it's your responsibility and it's what you've got power over. In It's the most important thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd like to close on that one. Definitely. Well, thank, thank you. Thank you again very much, Rudy, for your for your time today. And uh, if uh, if you're interested in learning a bit more about personal power, I think, Rudy, you've definitely got some information in your book about how to change um, and how to how to improve your personal power or your, your belief in yourself in, in that regard and what we're talking about today. Well, first of all, I think for everybody is to, first of all, become aware. Become aware of you, mm. of yourself. And when you open the doors to your own mind, you will open the doors to what you see in the world. You can only know the world as well and know others as well as you know yourself. Mm. It will always be the limit on your perception, which is you. <laughs> it's very, very prophetic to, uh, to end off today. So thank you again very much. You're welcome.